with the July edition of the Waterlog Podcast. As always, thank you very much to the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today for hosting us. My name is Dan Janolfi. And I'm Howard Marlowe. Hope everyone's had a nice 4th of July holiday. Watching the fireworks, did you, Howard? Yes, I've watched excellent fireworks. So we got great fireworks here in D.C., and then I tuned into the New York one. Wonderful. Absolutely. I watched DC's last year. They were by far the best fireworks I've ever seen in my life. Well, so. you got to watch New York's this time, next time, because they put on a show. You had the Empire State Building lit up from the top, fireworks coming out of the top there. Wow. All over the place. I'll have to get there next time. Got a couple things to talk to you about today. I'm going to talk about resilience infrastructure and the big infrastructure deal that Biden has been raving about. We're going to talk about state and tribal assistance grants, also known as STAG. Coastal, conser- coastal conservation and updates on the congressional appropriations process and earmarks, and finally, a note on the National Flood Insurance Program. Let's get started. So last month, we talked about an infra- infrastructure deal that has now come to fruition, or at least we're told. The actual package isn't out yet, but the deal is, is, is done, so to speak, in terms of what it will include. On the subject of coastal resilience, Biden has said that he would make coastlines uh, and levees more resilient. That's a quote. And use the money to create jobs that help rebuild the coastline. While we don't know exactly, well, we don't know ex- exact numbers on how much of the 1.2 trillion dollar proposal will be allocated for coastal resilience, a total of 47 billion is expected to go into projects that protect against hurricanes, flooding, wildfires, drought, and other extreme weather events. Now, none of this has mentioned the Corps. Correct. Uh, I don't expect any of this to be Corps of Engineers projects, funding backlog and the like, although it would be great if it is. But we were told early in the game that Congress wanted to keep the Water Resource Development Act, which would be a next year bill, as a source of authorizing new projects. Unfortunately, that's only an authorization bill and doesn't fund anything. So a little disappointment there. Yeah. So uh, the president's budget came out a few months ago, and as always, the annual federal appropriations process always begins with the federal uh, with the president's federal budget proposal that includes his recommended earmarks for projects and studies that he wants funded in the upcoming fiscal year. For the past decade, Congress has banned itself from earmarking as a result of frivolous pork barrel spending by a select mem- by a few select members of Congress. We've talked about that before. Now, until the earmark ban in 2011, all Corps funding was provided in appropriations bills. Since then, the Corps of Engineers has instead relied on a work plan that came after the agency got its final appropriation from Congress that includes the President's earmarks, plus funds added by Congress for Corps studies, constructions, construction, maintenance, and salaries. Now, typically, the President's budget acts as a starting point for Congress to build on. It rarely takes away presidential earmarks. Um, this means that any funding for a core project that the, that the president has earmarked is likely to stick through the bill. If you don't know if your, study has, uh, if your study or project has gotten into the president's budget proposal, just let us know. Now, what happens if you don't make it into the president's budget? Well, if you don't make it, then you, you certainly have a distinct opportunity, one, to get an earmark, and those earmarks link the deadlines for requesting earmarks of largely passed, but yeah. hopefully a lot of our listeners uh, who wanted to get into that have already you know, made their requests. And then there may be this year additional funds added by Congress, because not everybody, not all members of Congress 
made earmark requests, even though they might have had earmark or projects they wanted to get into the, pre the final budget. You know, they may not have submitted earmarks because they didn't like the practice. Congress probably is going to provide some additional funding that will go into a work plan. So I think there are various opportunities, but right now, you know, get on your knee and pray, you know, prayer, pray, so you can get that possible uh, final work plan money. Congress has really only begun scheduling subcommittee budget hearings. Maybe some of them at this point have taken place, but I don't believe so. It really won't be until September at the earliest that the House and Senate confer um, on their final versions. Yeah, that's, um, that's correct. There is uh, coming up in the matter of the next couple of days, there will be a markup uh, that is action on a energy and water appropriations, which includes the core uh, in the House. So there'll be passing bills, but you're absolutely right. The earliest we would see any possible conferring between House and Senate is September, and I wouldn't uh, hold my breath on that one. If history continues to repeat itself, it may be, we may have another set of temporary funding bills until Congress can work out yeah. its differences. You know, listeners probably know that uh, the federal budget year begins on October 1. I really would like to have a good explanation of why that happens, because it has changed states over the years. But the bottom line is uh, making, getting appropriations bills passed by October 1 are definitely unlikely to happen, and we could be going to the end of the year, which is why you mentioned these continuing resolutions that keep us going. Right. So the House Appropriations Committee uh, released a list of 308 earmarks, 288 of which are made under the EPA State and Tribal Assistance Grant Program, also known as STAG, for various water projects. The total earmark allocation in the interior EPA spending bill topped $444 million. Now, STAG grants can be used for a variety of uses, uh, a variety of projects, including beach water quality cleanup. So we'll be keeping an eye on this program and how the earmark requests play out. But an interesting point about earmarks is it's strange that some of the bills that, uh, from interior energy and water to transportation and beyond contain earmarks from members of Congress who are, in some cases, not voting for those bills. Yeah, definitely. Why the, is that? Well, it's really hard to explain, but the, with the remaining toxic environment, it is hard for members to learn that they really need to vote for the bills that they have earmarks in. Now, what used to happen to members who didn't vote for bills that they had they wanted earmarks in is they didn't get the earmark. So right now, Congress is learning the entire process here. And if members don't want to vote for those bills that they have earmarks in, then Congress is going to have to learn not to put those earmarks in there. It is a game of my hand washes your hand, and we'll work together on this so we can pass a bill. Right now, it hasn't gotten that point, but my hope is maybe next year we'll see a more, less toxic environment. Let's put it that way. Yeah, this is a strange Congress. Very. And uh, there's some strange rules, and, and the game is changing with the, with the introduction of, reintroduction of earmarks, rather. If you remember that most and members of Congress have never been involved with an earmark. So therefore, they don't know what to do. All they know is that it's a four-letter word. They don't know why it's a four-letter word, but it's a four-letter word. So th therefore, there is a very transparent process. We've talked about that before in a previous podcast. But nevertheless, they say, oh, 
well, I'm a Republican and Republicans are voting against this bill because all Republicans are sticking together and all Democrats are sticking together. This is mostly in the highway bill, is that correct? Well, the highway bill has got a bunch of things that went on. And the House has passed a a highway bill. Uh, It's got a load of earmarks in it and they include Republican requests that Republican House members are not going to vote for. So that's going to be true in the appropriation bills as well. But highway is a little different because you can actually appropriate in what amounts to an authorization bill. So the highway bill includes and the issues, funding. And the issues are still climate and other... There's resilience in the highway bills. Provisions the highway that are... But those are what's, what are holding up certain members. Some members don't want to have believe in climate change or don't want to put an earmark in or vote for an earmark that would be a resilience-related thing. You know, these things, folks, have got to change because if we're going to deal with resilience, we got resilience, we got the, the problems of resilience going on right now. We've got fire starting in the West. We've got storms starting in the East. We've got all of that coming on, and we need the, all we need is the rivers starting to overflow. Right, right. So, I mean, that's, it's not the only thing that's broken sometimes. I mean, moving on to the National Flood Insurance Program. Mm. The NFIP was not designed for the frequency of flood events that have occurred in recent years. When the NFIP began, it had two main purposes. To allow the transfer of some risk to the federal government and to develop and implement floodplain management standards. Now, the federal government is, in essence, now suggesting it has taken on too much risk to the benefit of the homeowners who, who developed in risky areas and floodplains along the coast, and that they're now paying too little for flood insurance. Now, the floodplain management standards were developed and implemented, but the long-awaited you know, reform from the NFIP, called Risk Rating 2.0, has been delayed as some members of Congress realized that the new rates in some risky areas were higher than what their constituents could afford. They just simply can't, can't pay for all of, the issues, all of the issues that we talked about today have an underlying issue of how are we going to pay for this? Uh, how are we going to pay for infrastructure that is holding up voting on infrastructure? I think we'll be talking about, oh, it's coming in, in when we when our, do our August podcast. We might be talking about when we do our September podcast, I think. Actually, I know we will be talking about it because they won't have resolved it by then. Now you get to the issues of, uh, let's say, the highway belt, which I mentioned. Uh, That one, we should be paying more at the pump. I know gas prices are high right now. We should be paying more at the pump. But there's no... Nobody wants to hear that. Nobody. that No constituent wants to hear it. That is true of flood insurance. Last time Congress enacted meaningful reforms that raised the... Uh, the cost of flood insurance, within a year, they backed down, undid their own reforms. So it's, it's a sad picture here, but unless our leaders talk good common sense to us and lead us, we are going to be stuck in a groove. Those of you who know vinyl records know what it is to be stuck in a groove because the record just keeps on playing over and over again. Flood insurance will continue to be a problem. Congress will continue to have to subsidize it until we're willing to pay more for it. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by 
LJA Engineering. With 28 offices along the Gulf Coast, the folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numerical modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. Be sure to check out their brand new Coastal Resilience Department, headed up by ASPN's own Peter Ravella. Find them at lja.com. Be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter at coastalnewstoday.com for daily updates on the events and news that shape the coastal discussion. Want to support the discussion and promote your company? We have sponsorship packages available now. Email me to learn more at chloe at coastalnewstoday.com. That's C-H-L-O-E at coastalnewstoday.com. Hope to hear from you and enjoy the show. And it simply doesn't make sense. If you built it a risky area, no matter what you pay for the house, there's, there's extra costs that come with that. And you're going and to have to be paying more for it because that resilience has to, or that risk has to translate into higher costs that you recognize. Otherwise, you don't really deal with it. Not only with flood insurance, but you don't deal with it. You know, we've seen articles about people, I think it was in Hawaii recently, where in one area of Hawaii where they were, you know, putting rocks up and, and tarp over the, the side of the... Uh, the homes so that they didn't, you know, that they were able to still sell them. I don't know who the buyers were, but nevertheless to still sell them just so they could mask the issue of risk. Well, if this was the private sector running, oh. these, running these numbers and putting the metrics together, you just, you, whatever it is they're offering, you just don't get it. If it was, I mean, you just, it wouldn't be allowed. But for some reason, because there's constituents involved and there's politics involved, we can somehow run programs that are literally failing, that are gonna, that would otherwise go bankrupt. Take a business right now that is dealing with higher costs that they have to pay. They passed at least some of those along to consumers. You and me, we're paying higher prices from the gas pump, but particularly at the grocery store, lumber, all those things. We're paying higher prices because business is passing along costs. And whenever we deal with the public sector, we are suddenly dealing with not passing along real costs, the cost of education, the cost of transportation, good roads, and the cost of any risk that is coming, not being passed along. And it's dangerous, very dangerous, because we're going to get caught more and more in having to pay huge amounts post-storm. I just want to bring up something that, I, that I've noticed before when I've traveled, you know, and I've checked out some of these beach, beach communities with major, major, I mean, monstrosities of homes. And these are compounds. And they are double and triple lots that used to be owned by three or four different families. And now it's, you know, one doctor or lawyer or whoever it may be who's got an extraordinary amount of money. And they've got one compound that takes up half a block or even, the, you know, even the full, full block. Now... What happens, let's jump ahead 50, 75, maybe 100 years. Who knows how long it's going to be. But if you look at how many people would you prefer to have exposed in risky places? Would you prefer to have, say, 10,000 individual homeowners or just 1,000 extremely wealthy? Let's call them one percenters. Just for, you know. mm-hmm. I think I'd probably prefer to have the extremely wealthy people footing the bill. And I think that's probably why these communities allow, you know, four or five different lots to be sold to one homeowner. From a financial perspective, you're you're decreasing the risk. You're you're 
reducing the, the pool size of the people who are responsible. Well, I think that I think that actually is almost the unintended goal of what the federal government may be seeing, because who's going to at the end of the day, who's going to be left on the coast? It's going to be those who can afford it and every, you know, every extra additional cost, because suppose those subsidies come away. No more federal beach nourishment projects. I know it's not it's, a, it's not a subsidy, but but you know the federal government provides these sorts of assurances or you know risk mitigation, whatever you want to call it. Well, largely what we have that I see is an increase in the number of condos that are going up along the coast. People are moving to the coast. They are demanding space along the coast. It's hard to find properties along the coast because the pandemic had people realizing that they could do remote work. So, yes, in some areas you're going to have wealthy people buying up parcels and consolidating, and the because of the price of the house and the property, the local community gets from one property owner a larger amount of property tax revenue, and they love that. On the other hand, that doctor, lawyer, whoever that person would be, is going to be probably not wanting public access, and that's going to be a problem because if they want federal assistance, they're going to have to have public access in terms of resilience, at least. I think there's a danger right now that we're going to see that there's more people in risky areas when we take the results of the last census, which really came during the pandemic, and maybe do an update of it, which the Census Department does do, and we start looking at the number of people who are at risk, I think we're going to see more people at risk than we predicted. Uh, and that's going to be a real danger. I think in the case of, if, like you mentioned, high-rises and condos, that's certainly true. Yeah. But I think in terms of, it, it perhaps it's just a trend that I'm noticing is people just buying up and, you know, and prices are still going up on the coast. Oh, yeah. You know, that's... that's Definitely. You know, it's, it's hard. Uh, my oldest daughter's in uh, real estate. You're bidding constantly, trying, you know, bidding up from the asked price, trying to be the one who gets the house. And it's, you know, you, anybody who's trying to do that loses more than they win. You know, it, it's just ridiculous. And I hope that it changes. Well, the deputy official in charge of the National Flood Insurance Program, Risk Management, Mitigation, and Flood Insurance Program, urged Congress in a recent hearing to approve a multi-year reauthorization of the NFIP with, quote, meaningful reforms by September 30th. I don't think that's going to happen. He also highlighted the failures of our current flood policy to provide a sustainable footing for itself with recommendations on how to improve the program going forward. Now, the hard truth is that meaningful reforms in the NFIP involves some people paying higher rates that reflect their the risk their properties face. And as you mentioned last time Congress passed reforms, it undid them within a year because of constituent complaints. It's not likely that this year will be any different. No. You know, the day that voters vote for people who are going to lead and who have got cojones and who will say, look, this is the truth. Unless we raise this, we can't actually deal with this. With flood insurance, with the highways, with everything else we've talked about today. That's it for today, folks. We'll be back with you in August. And hope you enjoy the rest of your summer. Goodbye now.